Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 51, Act 2, Rabab Chazul, Name, Listen, Witness, recorded December 5th, 2021. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to teachingirishry.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merchandise, and more. Teaching Irishry Podcast is supported by Filling the Well, a new podcast from Arts Midwest, created to nourish, provoke, and inspire artists and arts leaders. In this five-part series, hear from creative change makers as they share their takes on how to shift power dynamics, avoid burnout, build authentic community, share resources, and advocate for support. With each episode, you'll find links to explore these ideas further and act in your community. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or check out artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. This month was the face-to-face conference annually coordinated by the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable. And it was a hybrid experience with virtual sessions and two in-person full-day sessions over the course of the month. Um, From my perspective, the format seemed to work well to encourage high participation at many levels. Um, I personally attended the second of the two in-person sessions and here is what I learned or maybe I should say relearned our field is full of very passionate beautiful humans who seem to be in a perpetual learning space with forward momentum and very positive energy I'm gonna be honest I didn't know I really didn't know <laughs> how happy I would be to be in the same, yeah, just to share space with the with my colleagues, um, friends and colleagues who I have only been able to engage with over Zoom 
and in virtual conferences and sessions and over social media, mostly, honestly. Uh, the joy, the laughing, the leaning in to listen and absorb. Yeah, that, that was real, really real. The other thing I learned, or maybe relearned, is that over the last two years, my introverted self has really blossomed. And um, about halfway through that session, I was ready. I was ready to leave. (laughs) I was ready to leave or reduce the size of the groups surrounding me. Um, And I ended up choosing the latter, which I think was a strong, strong choice um, because it gave me a chance and I hope the rest of the group a chance to more concretely connect with folks that we admire that we truly care for um and really you know feel even more connected to so i was really grateful for both both being at the conference in that particular smaller group just sharing those meaningful moments was really heartwarming and um injected some energy into my heart and into my, you know, creative administrative mind. Um, so onwards friends onwards in the conclusion of our conversation, I was a conference, but in our conversation, uh, we talk more about cultural practice and Prabhab shares the journey of gentle radical receiving a prestigious, a prestigious arts prize nomination and the process that the staff took in response. And as I was listening and re-listening in in preparation for releasing this, I I just was struck, struck about how Rebab lives this practice. It is literally like in her bones. And I just find it beautiful. I just find it beautiful that the, the, the creative and cultural practice designed for how they work with communities and within communities is the same cultural and creative practice that they work together as a staff and as an organization. Literally so much to learn from this. Here is episode 51, act two, Krebab Razul, name, listen, witness. I feel like I'm talking to more people who, when you talked earlier about the different, um, what has historically felt like separate practices, the social practice, the arts and culture and the activism. Is that the, those, the three tenets and how they're, there's, they're all interconnected. Um, I feel like that's the conversation that I, I feel like I, I am not everybody's talking about it in that way. But I feel like that has been the conversation that I'm starting to have with folks. And I'm trying to figure out how, where that intersection lies within the work that I'm doing at the New Victory in a way that doesn't feel super disaligned with the, <laughs> with the mission. Um, and so like when you were talking about that perpetual outreach and the idea of pro- pro- uh, process process in practice as part of deep community work Um, because I work with schools we have ongoing relationships with the schools but you also said you know it sometimes is lying with one person who is 
the key to being able to reach others within that community. So sometimes when a teacher leaves a school, for example, we end up not continuing the relationship with that school, even if they try to set it up. And it's not because we don't continue to reach out to them. We do, but that, that, you know, that is a challenge that we continue to come up against with some, some folks. Um, but I was just thinking about how we are in a, a newer practice of building content that is not specifically centered around a particular production that we have, which was the, the main model pre COVID and has definitely shifted over time. And so what I'm, why I'm, I'm explaining and sharing this is because we are, um, you know, doing our best to, again, you know, in, in mission alignment in, uh, uh, continue to introduce and start to embed more social justice practices. I, I really love this terminology of creative justice practice. Um, um, because that feels a little bit more cl clear to how we work. Um, and we're working towards getting inspired by other um, artists, either um, folks who are um, gone or, or still alive, who utilize their art as a form of, of social justice um, and encouraging collective uh, engagement in, in a community that um, is defining what is meaningful either to the individuals within that community or collectively we we want to you know we want to have a conversation about gentrification and then we're going to be creating something but we don't know exactly what it is we're going to look at other you know professional artists and how what their approaches were and then we're going to it doesn't make sense so we're getting inspired by those artists yeah. Um, and so that's, that's just the beginning of where we are right now. And so it's going to be interesting because we're working with a small collective of our new victory teaching artists who will, um, help to start to design that work. And it will be residency based as opposed to, um, the other model that we have where you can do a pre or a post show workshop. So I'm, I'm listening very deeply to what you're saying because I, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm trying to build is a model that can be, um, we can build on over time, over multiple years mm -hmm. and potentially be something that could go beyond our New York city based communities, um, and our partners. So uh, it, I just think that, you know, thinking back across all the, the different threads of conversation that we have had today about, um, this in, an innate creative being that young people have or people have and then the study that we have in terms of training and being able to help to apply that training but not always driving towards a product but actually process is really interesting to me um and being able to also sort of expose if if that makes sense what the types of jobs are within this field in a way that you know culturally I think, yeah, culturally, and I don't even know if it has to do with like the global majority um, uh, or not. Like, I just think that there's always been some sort of stigma around being an artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm really interested in, in supporting, you know, continuing to advocate for more, uh, uh, better ways to do our work so that we don't come up against what we came up against in this pandemic and everything falls apart 
and we can't keep people with livable wages. Um, but I'm also interested in, so to that end, you know, like we saw an example of why, you know, it can be really challenging to be an artist because society doesn't actually value <laughs> this work in a way that it should. But, but then I also heard you say, I'm threading many things, sorry, but I also heard you say like, if that, uh, again, with that sort of pillars and coming together of weaving that art can be such a wonderful vehicle for moving and change making, um, and how, you know, the arts and culture sector has a lot to learn, but has a, a great deal of, of agency in trying to make, to pull the, the justice work, um, the, you know, political activism work together and thread it together more firmly. Um, whether they, you know, people are taking up that call or not is a different, um, question, but I, that's what I'm, that's where I'm feeling like I'm trying, I'm, I am trying to weave those things in a way that makes sense for how I think this organization can go. But I also want to create, you know, open dialogue amongst all the different stakeholders, including our teachers who are asking for this work our teaching artists who are demanding for this work in a good way and um for the you know the institution to understand that you know this is this we can do this we actually have a lot of agency to make these choice these choices and this and this work happen but we have to do it meaningfully and we have to do it um not because it's you know gonna just get funding and i don't i don't think that that's happening in this space i just don't i wonder like what is my, what is my responsibility to help all of us understand that this is, this is something that we can be continuing to do and embed within our practice and where else does it seem want to sort of manifest beyond education-based programs um, within our institution? And that's a, that's a bigger, <laughs> that's a bigger question. Mm, I'm really, yeah, it's really interesting that question of like, what is, I mean, there are obvious, you know, on the surface, there's, you know, my role and my responsibility and what comes with it. But like on a deeper level, I, I'm, you know, that's really chiming. What is our responsibility to advocate, to make a case for not just the continuing work, but the, the, the actual ways in which that work is mindful, you know, and doesn't perpetuate historical harms, basically, you know. Um, the arts, depending on how we use them and and particularly approach people and communities can harm you know or can extract or can can damage or can be tokenized and so I think one of the it's really interesting that question of responsibility one of the things that I feel I well funnily enough I suppose the piece we haven't kind of touched on when you asked me like what are the strategies you know around community and the work that you're doing is, is I think what became clear to me after about, I don't know, maybe three years of working with Gentle Radical is that what one of the key strategies had to be a hyper-local approach. And I started speaking to kind of funders, um, particularly our, our Welsh Arts Council. I remember being in a meeting with them and saying, look, we're not really interested in every year making an application for some new project with a new group of people, a new community, a new place, and then like being there for however long, starting again with the same thing a year later or whatever. I was trying to say, 
we want to stay in the same place like until you know you bury us in the ground until until of course in that period of time the the things will have you know had many many iterations and can passed on to many many other people but the idea of if you're working with a group of people let's say our community of riverside which is like 13,000 people you know fluctuating of course and um, there's people coming in and out of that neighborhood but essentially my interest in gentle radicals interest is what happens when you remain in one place in the long term over decades and, and just drill down into what the possibilities are and I think that's where we were pretty much funnily enough about two or three months before the first lockdown we were in the beginning of starting to roll out a whole cultural program that finally was focusing just on our neighborhood as the first iteration of like our long-term commitment to place and really the kind of I suppose all of that work got put on hold you know and we're now coming back to okay how do we then we had work in the meantime online lots of online kind of interventions and provocations and platforms and then we've also had of course doorstep revolution which is much more about how do we maintain some of this connection to community but that question of how do we do like a part of i suppose the decolonial um question about practice culture and justice for me is you 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 don't use communities as a means and it's really hard to avoid using community as a means whilst we're temporarily engaging people and parachuting in on our terms so the long-term embeddedness in a place i think is really part of the the strategy of um, of enabling deep, quite quite meaningful contexts of work where reparation can actually happen, where we can understand what it means for justice and issues of equity and in genuine issues of access that are not just superficial. How does that live? How does that breathe? How does that unfold? Unless you're somewhere for an extended period of time, an, an open-ended period of time, we would argue, it's really hard to avoid the pitfalls of temporary token practice. Um, and, and, and so that I think that's a big part of our, that, that really is the vision for our work, you know? And um, I think we just got ourselves as an organization, I suppose three and a half years in, to be in a position where we're like, right, okay, this, this really is, there's the form and there's the content. The content may be any number of cultural projects and we have mm. a range of those, both that are existing and in the pipeline. And But the form is how we are choosing to work in community, in what ways, for how long, on whose terms, um, in ways that, uh, what is what is the democratizing of that process mean? Um, and I think, that that yeah i really resonate with that sense of what is our responsibility to model those ways of working even when whether people are consciously telling us this or not the prevailing wisdoms or if not wisdoms the prevailing practices the prevailing time scales are other to that are please deliver in this time get us over the line, get us your photographs, tell us the stats, how many people turned up. Oh my Lord, you know, that, that we know that doesn't work. 
we know that doesn't work. And we know it doesn't account for the depth, the, the depth of experience and, um, and the relationality, like the relationships between people um, that are the key. And why would you end your relationship? It's like if you met someone and you had a great friendship, or why would you, like, can you imagine coming to the point where you go, I've just loved getting to know you for the last year. It's done. We're done now. I'm going to move on to the next friendship. Like that just doesn't make sense. So if you're evolving relationships in community with people, why would you end them? Of course, you might develop new strategies or new projects or new in relation and in collaboration with people. You might actually go, okay, next project is this. Or we're going to like, we're going to explore this, that this person is really interested in or that or but like, there's no problem with that, right? There's perpetual work that we can engage with, but why drop anyone? Why disengage anyone? Um, I think that's the main thing within the cultural sector that is the biggest shift um, that has to change. And yeah. more so than ever now, because of, of the, the, the realities of the systems collapse that we're facing, the realities of climate change, the realities of, the historical ongoing legacies of colonialism and racism, structural racism and uh, and patriarchy, all these systems that are grinding down and continuing to grind down people's lives. And Mm. I think unless the cultural sector is coming up with deeply radical propositions for how we undo that harm, um, we will always be extracting from people and from communities, I think. I, I struggle, I struggle, um, but I also wonder about timelines, like what are expectations, can our expectations for those, you know, for changing and shifting those grinding systems, um, or do we need to push harder? And when do we recognize that, you I just got, I got rolled, I got rolled right back in. And I didn't even realize it. <laughs> I thought I was fighting. I was going the other way. I was disrupting. And no, oh, no, no. I'm right back where I started. Nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you talk to us about the award you were you're, you were nominated for? Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't. We were nominated for something. We, we didn't win. But um, and that was really like last thing on our minds. But yeah, we were not. We were nominated for just this unbelievably, I'm almost, I always feel like, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it really, but an unbelievably prestigious award called the Turner Prize in the UK, which is like the biggest prize going around contemporary art practice. So historically, I think this award has been going for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's a contemporary art prize. It has a lot of controversy around it, you know. Um, you know, people like Tracy Emin, um, Damien Hurst, have either been nominated or have won. You know, so like you're talking the, the absolute cream of contemporary British artists. And it's often been regarded as a huge kind of talking point within the media and the press. And because so much of the work within the context of something like Turner Prizes is the kind of apex of like high aesthetics, you know, conceptually driven work you'd find in contemporary galleries and museum spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there has not been 
a kind of sense of access or ability to read that work from the kind of regular public who may be going to art galleries, but in many cases, often not, you know. Mm -hmm. So already there's that kind of backdrop of controversy. But then this year they did something, every year there's a jury, and this year the jury decided to nominate, normally it's four artists, they chose five, and they were all collectives. And they made a case for this year, the Turner Prize, being not just individual artists, but the nominees all being collectives who all of them are working with in different ways, issues of social justice, issues of um, politics, um, human rights, anti-discrimination, anti-oppression work across a whole range of, of kind of issues and, 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 and platforms. Mm. And this created even more controversy in a way. So the right-wing press just like had, like we're having none of it, you know, this is the most embarrassing Turner Prize ever. And, you know, yeah. So, so we just, we had, so this was very extraordinary, well, shocking for us. It was a complete shock. Um, yeah, tell us, tell us about how, how did you learn about it? Uh, about well, you, you just got an email from the, the, the head, like the, the curator of, the, of Tate Britain, you know? And in the UK, we have this institution, these museums, the Tate. The Tate, the Tate, like the, I would say the equivalent uh, would be maybe like a mix between the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Whitney for just for yeah, context, say, for American context. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. <laughs> or it's MoMA. Maybe it's closer to MoMA. MoMA. I was, yeah, maybe MoMA. Yeah. I was thinking, but also the Whitney. Yeah. And the, mm -hmm. I would, I would, yeah, very similar. Um, institutions so and and there are several um you know you have the Tate Modern you have the Tate Britain you have Tate St Ives so you know different Tate uh, Liverpool so various um certainly manifestations of the the, the building-based museum you know institution in the UK so it was the head of Tate Britain you know who oversee the Turner Prize every year and so he sent me an email I received an email and I thought it was a hoax I thought I think someone's made up like an email in the name of the curator <laughs> and I had to run it by my board and say, what do you think this is? Um, cause he's, cause first of all, it was like, Oh, hi, look, I'd love to introduce himself and, and by email. and said, I'd like to urgently have a conversation with you. Uh, great. I said, great, go for it. He said, you've been nominated, gentle radical have been nominated for, the Turner Prize and that's at that point I felt like is this a joke it turned out not not to be a joke after all and um yeah and I think I think it was it's it's been a very intense journey because we had to basically down tools I mean at this point we were like it was April so you know we were a year into pandemic and you know more here there was there was I can't remember which lockdown we were in at that point mm -hmm. um and or we were coming out of some stuff, you know, um, but it, it, we had to really pretty much park everything at that point, you know, a whole range of things, um, you know, we were working on the doorstep revolution project. We had to kind of park for a while. There were some, a couple of new things we were about to work on um, in order to focus on building what ended up being, of course, a show, an exhibition and, and gentle radical, although a number of us, like today, there's maybe 11, 12 different people in Gentle Radical, collaborators, artists, some people who are not artists, you mm. know, um, who work in land justice or 
conflict resolution or anti-racism and anti-oppression work or community development or uh, faith ministers you know there's a bunch of different people also artists so we had to make a show that somehow created a frame for all of these people within like four or five months and we'd never made it some of us have exhibited before as artists as visual artists but we'd never done that together before so it was like an epic journey for us and yeah and then the whole thing like I'm speaking to you now in December start of December the actual award ceremony happened last week and the winners were this just beautiful collective called Array from North Northern Northern Ireland from Belfast mm. so yeah really they're so happy that they won. I mean, just really, mm. I, I sort of say that with all my heart. They're just such worthy winners and make incredible work. And I feel everyone actually nominated makes incredible work. I'm not not saying that necessarily about ourselves because I'm much more bashful about ourselves, but, you know, gained a lot getting, getting, getting to know these people. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask that question. So how how were the the five... Um, entities connected um, how did you interact over the five four or five month period well actually funnily enough you know not as much as we'd hoped because what happens with something like this is like you get invited to do it you don't mm -hmm. normally show up in gallery spaces and you've lit you had like four months to turn mm -hmm. it around which is so actually, I, just, I just want to mark that like the way that you work is not on a timeline <laughs> So to have this incredibly accessor access accelerated timeline, I remember, oh, no. you know, you, you sort of sharing, I, I don't think I'm betraying anything, but you sharing like, this is not it. And I'd be like, you can do this, whatever you create, you're just going to use, you're going to use your way and you're going to figure out how to make it work within the time frame. You're going to be great. <laughs> you were one of my, like, you were like my, one of my, like, like, like the sidelines, all those voice notes, like championing us. It was really good. That was, there were very critical moments, I think, with some of those voice notes where I was like channeling that sense of faith and hope, belief, 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 you're here for the reason from you. So I so loved that, actually. That was such a great support. But there is, you know, there, there are no small amount of tensions around a kind of context like this, because on the one hand, the jury are, are throwing out a very, I think, radical proposition, like, mm. yeah, hey, guess what? We've had how many years of patronage and fine art and contemporary art. And guess what? It all sits within this massive international global art market, which throws, like circulates vast amounts of wealth for like a tiny, tiny, tiny elite minority of the population, mm -hmm. right? That in itself, deeply problematic. Um, but they were kind of saying, I don't necessarily think, think they were critiquing that, but they were definitely saying there are other forms of art making there is this thing called there are collectives there are people who are not just in their studios or making work on their own um, and showing up in a, in a singular individual way there is collaborative collective practice and guess what some of it is deeply deeply rooted in issues of justice and radical change and politics and protest and um, and care and repair and reparations work you know um, and I think they selected us based on the fact that, well, they've said this themselves, the jury, um, based on the fact that a couple of things, one, we're living through times of crisis, who is responding to those times of crisis, and two, who has responded in different ways around the COVID context. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so I suppose we kind of, yeah, we 
I suppose one of the, the contradictions around it is on the one hand, they are selecting you because you are, you work in different ways, right? You don't show up in gallery spaces, you work mm -hmm. for us collaboratively in long-term ways. Mm -hmm. And yet the frame in which you have to deliver remains the traditional conventional frame of showing up in a gallery setting and literally having to make work within four or five months. So it was, uh, you know, at times I was lost, you know, at times I was like, I mean, this is this is challenging at the best of times, but the level of scrutiny that comes with this platform is almost, I think I had a kind of low level permanent anxiety for five months. And then that at times massively peaked. That was my experience. <laughs> and at the same time, it was an epic journey. You know, we did find a frame in which all of us could show up and it taught us a lot about, okay, there's a whole bunch of work we can potentially do. And not like to say we want to forever be exhibiting in galleries. I right. think, you know, there will be a limit on how much of that we want mm. to do. But we found a frame for everyone to, to show up in and to make work through and, yeah, to contribute, you know. Yeah. And so what was the frame? I think the frame was like one of the things we'd been doing for pretty much a year previously. I mean, the timing was great, was... Everyone in Gentle Radical, like it was maybe 15, 16 people were meeting on a monthly basis. And this is a deep part of our practice. Um, really to kind of hold space for what was going on for people. Um, so a lot of stuff was going on for people, COVID in the obvious sense. Um, you know, that time, like we were, we were sort of, we still are precarious, but like we were even more precarious then. So people working either within the arts or just within the voluntary sector, within the community sector, mm -hmm. COVID destabilizing the, even the existing connection uh, to work and employment, which became that much more precarious suddenly. And alongside the arc of Black Lives Matter and, and you know, for our black colleagues, just what, what that means for people to be holding space for themselves and their families under COVID and with a constant kind of re-triggering of historical trauma, trauma, you know, around racialized identities. And, and, and then some, of course, some of our, some of our um, colleagues are parents, you know, some of them are single parents. Um, the homeschooling piece, the, the kind of exhaustion that people were feeling mm. alongside, I think, what was the case for everyone, which is the the various um, uh, experiences of lockdown and the isolation around that and the, the kind of sense of like, you know, we're not in connection, we can't meet. So I think we we felt very strongly about holding space every month. Um, to, to, to really to do that kind of healing work together. So there was a very deep process on a monthly basis of meeting around that. And um, we went to some very deep places and, and I think we're very, one of the, the kind of really authentic parts of our connection is how open and honest we are and how we consciously create space to name and be, name, listen and witness you know, mm. to know where we are, to listen to each other and to be witnesses um, and, and, and in a way to steward each other, you know, um, through darker times and lighter times. And I think what had come up within that also in relation to the work was what is when we 
get back to, I don't know if we ever wanted to get back to normality because like normality clearly pre-COVID was a shit show for so many people, so many communities across the, the planet. And, um, and that was not really like, yeah, work to be done, work to be done. And I'm not sure whether even COVID is even teaching, we've really learned the lessons of there is, that's a whole other conversation. What lessons have been learned and have we, have we, are we really drilling down into those lessons? But I think, um, yeah, there was, there was a sense of how are those deep conversations informing the curation and the programs and the, the kind of work we want to do. So lots of questions were coming up, like what does collective parenting mean? You know, what does it mean to build, how do we build the village? We can, we can talk about this village that raises, you know, collectively raises it's, it's young, but like, where is that village? How do we build that village? Um, what does equity actually mean in our organization? What do equitable practices look like and feel like? How do we do trauma-informed work? How do we slow the work down? Like, uh, you know, as Adrian Marie Brown talks about, like, like, how do you work at the pace of trust? And that is not just working at the pace of trust for us in Gentle Radical, like how do we build that pace together? How do we trust that we can slow that work down in the face of, you know, capitalist structures within the cultural sector, essentially that, you know, are expecting you to deliver way too fast with timelines that are unrealistic for most of us. How do we do that work? But then also what's the pace of trust, you know, with communities, particularly when we get back into those spaces? Um, and I think, interestingly enough, all of that depth level mutual kind of support and, and investigation and exca constant excavation of what is the work, what is the, what is the labor, what's the emotional labor we need to be doing with each other to get each other through. The most obvious frame to us felt like a series of letters to each other. I kind of described them almost, they're like video letters. And in that sense, um, they became a series of 10 filmed, I mean, letters in the loose sense, because it starts with someone going, dear Adiola, or dear Stephen, you know, you said you wanted to talk about like spirituality and diaspora and this idea of oneness. So, okay, you know, well, the things that occurred to me were this. And like each, each person, you have in these 10 video letters, they're all filmed in different parts of Riverside in our neighborhood, in some of the community spaces we're in, in some of the outdoor spaces we work in and move through on a daily basis. And they were kind of letters that touched on everything from diaspora to parenting, to radical spirituality, to liberation struggles, to uh, Welshness and identity, to migration, um, to, to yeah to decolonial work um and and also death and grief and loss because those are the real things that some of our members have been facing in the last year um in terms of family members some through covid you know so there there, there was deep tender work and spaces to navigate and i think we wanted to surface that in the work and so that the most honest thing we can do, because we don't have neither the time to do something with our communities, which is what we'd normally do, nor is it safe to, to do that under COVID. We tried to go down that route. And we realized yeah. it just yeah. really 
put people at risk. So what we could do is surface those dialogues. So that was one part of the work. And then we also did, there's a sung element of the work, um, which is we did manage uh, to, again, with loads of masses of kind of safety, kind of COVID informed safety regulations. And we brought people together to uh, in, be involved in a sung piece, um, not as a finished performance. So Gentle Radical are less interested in a finished product and more about revealing the machinery of cooperation. So mm. we had one of our members, Marianne Roberts, um, and uh, uh, she collaborates in a wonderful group called Bragod, who are kind of early music and traditional Welsh music project. And um, she taught us, a number of us from Gentle Radical and from the community, uh, a beautiful version of um, a bardic prayer, you know, which actually speaks to issues of justice and knowledge and knowledge needing to be in the service of justice to have any profound value. So we, we this was in Welsh. And so we learned it in Welsh, we sang it in Welsh, but the whole of the day, the arc of the day was recorded and filmed. So really what we were interested in is how do people come together, learn together, listen together, take on sound and song and music together and, 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 and move towards um, alliance, you know, move towards mm -hmm. listening and become and harmonizing. How do we literally and metaphorically mm -hmm. harmonize? So that, that's another projected video that comes on in interludes. And then finally, we had this piece, uh, which was like a curriculum, which is like a vast kind of like on the wall, we painted a kind of like working diagram or curriculum of Gentle Radical, which came about, funnily enough, by from Isabel, who's here in Wales, maybe five or six years now, originally from Colombia. And she, she works in conflict resolution, amongst other things. And I remember her saying to me when we first put out this invitation, hey, are we all up for this Turner Prize thing? It's a bit crazy, but here we are. And I remember her saying, yeah, Rabab, I am, but I'm not an artist. I don't know how to respond to this. I said, don't worry, we'll find, we're all gonna find ways of doing that. And actually that curriculum, that really complex diagram, which shows all of the interconnected practices and um, spaces and values and principles that we're interested in actually came from her quite naturally over this period of a year of us talking and gathering on Zoom, she had written in this like spiral bound, like A5 notebook, three full pages of like amazingly scrawled notes of this interconnected diagram. And it was so beautiful and it was so detailed and so nuanced, you know, that I was looking at this again and I just thought, God, Isabel, you know what? Like whatever you think about being an artist or not an artist, there's such deep creativity in this mm. diagram. And so we transferred that in all its, without making any changes. We thought, do we mm. add stuff? Do we go back? And we thought, no, this is a snapshot of Gentle Radical at this moment. And it comes directly from Isabel. So we wanted to purely yeah. honor and be faithful to her rendition. So there was um, a wall diagram in there. And there's a couple of other things as well. So yeah, that's the work at the moment. That seems, it sounds remarkable. I w want to, um, yeah, it, it seems to me 
that you what you ended up doing as your collective is applying how you work in community with your community which is this collective yes say the second part of that we were applying how we work in the community to us as a collective yes yes um how your how your collective you applied how your collective works in community in a community back onto yourself as a community yeah I think we did exactly that I think mm-hmm. we kind of went okay like the thing I said earlier about like conversation is like a materiality for us it's like a mm-hmm. medium yeah like we record a lot of our dialogues yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and so how can that give rise to then creative work, creative collaboration processes? So one of the things we had to do, of course, you, we, these letters didn't emerge out of nothing because it's very hard. You can't say to people suddenly, hey, you've been talking about like, like radical spirituality to decolonization, to liberation work, to parenting. Can you just, you know, can you just do that whilst we record you? So what we did is we had this like three week period where, of course, Turner had a timeline we had to deliver where we, we said we want can people just who do they want to speak to over this three-week period what do they want to speak to what are the thematics and we want you to re- engage in these conversations and record every single thing you say every single thing via voice notes that you leave for each other via mm-hmm. conversations via zoom and we had a vast number of these conversations then of course they people had been talking right for a year so they were just revisiting a lot of these thematics and asking each other more questions. And then we did this huge editing process. I mean, epic editing process down to, which was so hard for me and the other, uh, I suppose we had a, a team of curators, you know, myself and two of my colleagues, Melissa and Ben, which we had to within a four month period, you know, we were never gonna in four months be able to have a democratic, how are we gonna go about making this work? Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of created these frames that everyone could feed into. But I think it was about how would we have worked in community? Um, How would we have surfaced what already is manifesting in these moments, in these conversations? How do we honor that enough? How do we we reveal and make visible process? Um, Yeah, for sure, that was there. And, and I think it revealed new processes. I'm like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is how we work as a collective, like given, I mean, in the past, different people were working on different projects and within some projects there's overlap, but like it was the first time we all came together and I think it revealed like, oh, here's a way that we can do this. And I think the beginning of those letters was the beginning of an archive for us that I think will be a long-term evolving archive of how we communicate with each other. I want to respond in three, with three things and then I'm going to move us along. First is the, the videos, the notes, the archive, like that's, that's very, that reminds me very much of you in terms of how we talked earlier about how we communicate with people. We have these voice notes, right? And, and this, because you're, it's, you call yourself a visual artist, but I think you're a multimedia artist, (laughs) So I yeah, offer you that anyway. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like we, there's just different multi, there's multiple or interdisciplinary mediums for this dialogue mm. that you mm. also use in your real life. 
So there's this artistic way of doing it and, and it mirrors what you do in your real life. So I just want to show that to you. The second thing is in terms of creative processes, I feel very connected to this way of working because I have worked this way as um, part of my theater collective. I haven't done this work in a while, but um, you know, just having dialogue recording and we fit, we are physical theater um, people. So we will have dialogue and then we will record our physical responses to, to whatever that dialogue is and however we want to do it. So we end up having this video archive as opposed to a verbal archive of, of the work that we did. And then eventually that gets stitched into a, a piece that has a, a script. Um, so it's, I, I recognize that um, process at least um, in some way. And then the third one, I just, I, again, I want to just say like the, the kinds of, um, learnings that while, while yes, <laughs> your, your collective was chosen for this prize based off of your long-term perpetual work with a community and then put this other frame on it where it was like, you know, very colonized timeline, um, that you were able to figure out how to do, oh, oh, this is what I wanted to say, actually, that one, you had the dialogue and you had the conversation. Do we work with a community? No, that's going to be too harmful. To, to actually come to that realization together and acknowledge that and then figure out, okay, but if we want to do this, we said we were going to do this, how do we do that? I just, I want to applaud that you made that choice very much because I, I wondered I wondered how you were going to do that. And I remember, I remember, I don't remember the exact words that I said, but in one of my voice notes being like saying something about like, how would you do this? Just do, like stick with who you know you are and you're that it's going to reveal itself of how. So I really appreciate that you took the time to figure out, you know, is this a, ro a route that we want to take and, and not, and understanding why you're not going to take that particular road um, and, and that it was rooted in the potential harm. I just, I just want to acknowledge that really, really adeptly. Um, Thank you for and that. Then, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, actually there were two, um, two directions or two possibilities with that, both of which we chose n not to go down that route. There was like, you know, fast track some kind of work with our community because we work with communities and therefore we're going to, you know, we're at the Turner Prize, we must find a way of doing that that felt like it was going to really be damaging, you know, to people and like fast track them through something under COVID. No, that, that like, particularly in the community that we live in. I mean, it's not an affluent community. It has large numbers of, you know, diverse minority ethnic community, you know, massive impacts, you know, uh, disproportionate impacts as we know on these communities via COVID. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, we had to like really listen and be respectful and say what is possible in the time, not just what's possible in spite of whatever's going on, but what is possible actually in, in respect of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that, that the Turner kind of Tate, um, the invitation from the, from, the, from the institution, from the gallery also where we were gonna exhibit or show up was, hey, you know, you will work with communities. You may also be interested in working with the with the Coventry community, which is where the gallery is based, because um, the Turner Prize is like one year is in London, and then the the, the corresponding year is in a in a regional city in the UK. Mm -hmm. And this year is in Coventry, and that felt just as like 
no way are we going to do that. Like the whole point of our work is that we don't, the whole point of the companies not to parachute satellite in and out again. Why would we do that in Coventry within five months? I mean, it just, the whole thing was, so we, whilst we dallied with that a little bit at the beginning, very soon we realized that this is not, this is not going to, this is not how we want to do things, you know? Um, and I think, yeah, there was great value in that. And I, I, that doesn't mean the other piece is like, that doesn't mean that there might not be a kind of retrospect, like how do we retrospectively mm -hmm. take the material from this? So for example, one of the things we want to do is take all of this video work because not everyone from our community is going to make it up to Coventry or will even know what's going on, you know? Um, but we will let them like, like a lot of people know what's going on, obviously, but like, um, we'll do one of our leaflet drops, which is what we do to like 5,000 households in the community, in the neighborhood. And there will be invitations, probably street by street over a period of time. We really want to share this work with them, this video work. It's filmed in amongst, you know, these streets and right. places. And then in a way to extract from, in a positive way, <laughs> a, extract from what the responses are to that work and what it throws up in terms of the thematics, in terms of the subject matter, in terms of the dialogues that we're sharing. And I mean, we know that that's impacting because we keep getting these emails either from the gallery or from like, you know, regular visitors to the gallery, people in Coventry saying, hi, I'm contacting you via your website. Like I lost some my friend yesterday and I was trying to keep a lid on it. And then I went to your exhibition with my mother and I, ju I just want to thank you because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This just, I heard the piece about death and loss and grieving and like, thank you. So we know it's impacting people. That's very important for us that that work is readable, right? So much work in the art world, there is a unspoken currency within the contemporary art world that the more um, impenetrable and indecipherable the work is, the higher its value. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, there's something about that inaccessibility. Like I myself as an artist can work in, walk into galleries and really not quite know what is being spoken. And I will always make an argument for that. I'll always make an argument for art for art's sake. And it does not, not everything has to be readable. And like, I profoundly will champion till I die the value of that work, mm -hmm. but it is not the only work in town, right? There's a whole range of other formations and spaces. And I suppose what matters to us is that our work is readable. It's complex, it's layered, but that people are moved, you know, that's very important for us. And I think in a way we want to open up that dialogue now, hopefully, you know, whenever the space becomes available to share that work, to share that material, and then use it as a springboard for the next iteration of our work with communities, you know? So it doesn't always have to be the advanced party. Work yeah. exists in many ways to, to be accessed at whatever time is valuable and is respectful and is, um, is viable for all of us together to collaborate, you know? It's beautiful. I, I could talk to you forever, um, but I am cognizant of time. Um, so why don't we wind ourselves down? I don't, I, I thought I had a question and now I don't. So what do you want to talk about? What's, what, what should our last topic be? This word liberation, which is a word that is so easy for us to use. 
And you are such an excavator in my mind. Like you're always push, pulling back like the surface of things and going, okay, where's the next level down? Where's the next level down? How do we kind of deepen our understanding of how to show up? And I was kind of thinking, how do you, like, do you have a sense of how that word is changing for you as particularly in the last year and what, what it, how, yeah, your relationship to that word in relation to the work and your practices and how that's unfolding in these times for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I started asking this question, um, under the, uh, we can't go back, um, video series. And, uh, um, I think then I was just, I really was like, how do we do this work? How do we start? <laughs> and now that we've been in these conversations and I, I'm invited into many different threads of conversations and many different kinds of platforms um, around liberation, around justice. Um, I think I, I get, I get a little overwhelmed by the macro pieces so I tend, I tend to focus in on the, the micro, what, can, what is my sphere of influence and how can I work towards creating spaces of, or, or liberated spaces within that sphere of influence. And that can manifest in multiple ways. So it's, um, a simple practice is, uh, we have, you know, in terms of the program model, there was one way to become a partner as a school. Now we've built multiple ways for a school to engage with our institution and still that the, the sort of, you know, quote unquote rigor of the, or the, of the quality of the art and creative um, engagement is still quite at a, at a level that I think is important that we all love and, and respect from the, the uh, pre and post model. Um, so that's one way. Um, uh, another way that I think about, you know, opening up dialogue and creating a more democratized approach to how we are, we are working within these programmatic models and designs is continuing to engage our, our artists to question, to provocate, to poke, <laughs> to demand as needed. And for us to tussle and grapple with what that can mean in a more you know not only in practice but also just fiscally you know how can we make something like that work because likely there's some sort of expense attached to making a change um and um it also comes down to how am I working with the team the staff how am I creating more spaces for them to 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 do their to do their work to feel like they have a voice in how we do the work. Um, uh, so, you know, it's happening on multiple levels and that is my, my hope, uh, is to continue to grow my skills as an advancer. And that could be as a career, like helping others to be, have career equity and career advancement to feel safe and to trust where they're working, um, to have intellectual safety, emotional safety, um, I'm building all of these because I, you know, I'm, I also thought about myself, you know, in the, in the midst of this time, I got promoted to be an executive and I haven't, I haven't had the time to fully 
like learn what does it mean to be an executive? You know, I didn't go to school for that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know things obviously, but like there's a whole other job description that I'm still trying to wrap my head around because I still have to focus very specifically on program design and all these other things that I just mentioned. Right. So um, I'm also working to make sure that I'm advocating not only for the team and for the people of the team, but for myself so that I can be able to be available uh, to do, to, to hold these spaces, to be, you know, present, to do that sort of what you said earlier that I loved was, was to, um, what did you say? It was to, to listen, hear, listen, and, and witness, right? Like to do that work and then process and figure out, okay, now how do we make change to that can be implemented that continues to create a more liberated space for our, to contain our work. Um, and so sometimes then that, then when I have a moment, (laughs) then I can think about, okay, whatever, what am I doing on this micro level in this sphere of influence? How does that impact the field? How does that, um, potentially have, advocacy change, change making, uh, conversations that is not something I have exact control over or touch directly. Right. Um, but that, that can be harder for me. Um, I, I want more time to do that piece, but, um, I'm working towards that. So, so there's, so there's that like from a, from a work perspective and then from, um, and then I think the podcast that definitely the podcast has, uh, these kinds of conversations with these one, you and another wonderful guests, they help me to think more critically about how I approach my work um, and vice versa. I'm sharing like, here's a big question that I have about my work. What do you think of that? Um, so I'm, I, it's like my own mini workshops <laughs> and professional development is having these kinds of conversations. Um, and, and then on a personal level, I also think about, again, just so that I can be at my most, how do I create liberated spaces for myself so that I can be able to make or create space for, for liberation in, in other contexts. So for me, that's you know thinking about my living life, my relationships with family and friends and colleagues, uh, my health, my actual like physical health. Um, uh, yeah and like what am I you know how am I consciously putting you know being more mindful of what I'm eating and drinking and putting into my body and how am I moving it you know and and um and also now I'm I'm on this other <laughs> this new, like new line of inquiry around my relationship to money and how that that uh you know having grown up and and straddled and then crossed over different economic lines over the course of my lifetime. And then the, the history of my family and uh, my direct family and its line and my ancestors, including my parents that like, I'm, I'm starting to have that conversation with myself and figuring out how to uh, break some habits, make new habits, make healthy habits and utilize resources. So I, two sets of resources that I will name that I've, I've sought after was an executive coach who 
I actually host, uh, it was a guest on my podcast, um, recently, Kemi Joseph. So he's been helping me greatly this year. Um, and now I'm, I'm starting to work with a, a financial advisor for the first time. You know, I've always, I've had, you know, I have systems in place to help me with my personal finances, but like, I want to take it to a new level and I can't do that alone. So that, I think that's another part of, uh, the more I can take care of myself because who else is going to do that? Um, the more I can show up and witness and deeply listen and be able to make movement in other spaces. Yeah. So glad this is getting recorded because it's so inspiring. It's just, yeah, it's amazing and full and really rigorous, you know, full of deep rigor and real, um, mindful you know sense of uh had how, how you yeah how you really do that work like so consciously like i think that always comes across to me it's always done with such you know care and consciousness and conscientiousness as well the two you know so yeah i'm taking a lot from that i'm getting a lot from that yeah um. amazing it's always changing as well. It is. It's always changing. Oh, what? What? What are you saying? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't wait for our voice memos to resume now that you have a little Lovely. more space, because yeah. that is a joy in my life. Yeah, me too. Let the re- let the resumption. I don't even know if that's a word. Sure, why not? <laughs> let the recommencement. I don't even know if that's a word. Yes. Let it begin anyway. Let's let begin. It. Let us rebegin. <laughs> yes, uh, Rebab. Thank you so much for taking this time with me. Oh my gosh, the pleasure has been mine. Seriously, um, such a joy, such a joy. I'm so happy we get to. We'll pick up again. But yeah, yeah. it's been a real joy being in this space with you and. Yeah, spending my Sunday afternoon. Real Thank you for listening to episode 51, This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB, and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Ooh.